This podcast is sponsored by the University of Manchester's Masters in Educational Leadership in Practice. Build your confidence and take a critical approach to leadership with practice-based learning on this part-time online course. Learn from world-leading academics in educational policy and leadership. Build your global network through their conferences held twice a year and make lasting partnerships. Create positive change in the workplace by visiting www.manchester.ac.uk forward slash ELIP for more information on this course. What makes a good leader? It's a question that always sparks debate and divides opinion within education circles, but at the same time is one that generates responses that will remain consistent from one generation to the next. Integrity, authenticity, these are traits that could just as easily be applied to the great head teachers of today or those who ran schools 100 years ago. But as schools adopt new technology and students spend increasing amounts of time online, what additional skills do school leaders need to enable them to keep pace with a rapidly evolving digital landscape? I'm TES Senior Editor Simon Locke and today I'll be speaking to Interim CEO at EACT Academy Trust, Tom Campbell and biology teacher and teaching and learning ambassador, Jake Harrison, about what digital skills today's leaders really need. While Tom has been in education for 20 years and has led two large trusts, Jake is currently studying his MA in educational leadership in practice and will begin his first leadership role in September. I wanted to know what two leaders, both at very different stages in their career, think about the digital world that schools now find themselves in and to ask them what skills the next generation of leaders need to have. Before chatting to Tom and Jake, first I asked TES Senior Analyst Gronja Hallahan what she thinks are the most important things today's digitally savvy leaders should be thinking about. There once was a time when the most high-spec piece of kit in the classroom was the chalkboard. And if you were really lucky, it was one of those roller ones that you could spin around and change at the end of the lesson. Back then, it would have been hard to imagine all the tech we have in classrooms today. From visualisers to tablets to electronic dictionaries. You know, the phrase Zoom lessons is actually part of our vocabulary now, and teachers are well used to utilising the technology available to them. But as we become used to one innovation, so another one comes along. You know, keeping pace with technological advances is a challenge today's school leaders just have to face. Because all of this technology, it isn't a bolt-on, is it? Inviting tech and the digital world into our classrooms and schools isn't a straightforward change, and leaders need to think critically about these decisions. And that thinking should start with safeguarding, because it's inarguably the biggest concern. TES research tells us that 58% of safeguarding incidents are happening either online or on social media. Schools have a responsibility to ensure children aren't put at more risk because of the choices being made around tech and pedagogy. And that constant pull between solving a problem with tech and creating a problem with tech. We have to ask, are we introducing it because it sounds like something we need or because it actually provides a solution to a problem that we've been looking to solve? Leaders need to be able to examine the evidence when it comes to new tools and systems. And we can't forget the cost of training and upskilling staff to use the new technology. Are we including this in our implementation plans? Are we expecting something to be dropped to make way for this new demand on our time? Otherwise, where will that time be pulled from? We can't just add and add and add. 
any new change has to take into account what exists and what time challenges staff already face. All of that said, schools must be open to these new ideas. After all, if we didn't accept the change to digital registers, we'd still be doing them with a pencil and running them over to the office five times a day. The days of just a blackboard are gone, and that's a good thing. It's exciting to think what might be next, and I think school leaders who are on the front foot could see the biggest gains. Hello, Tom and Jake, and welcome to the TES podcast. Thank you both for joining me. Tom, uh, interim CEO at EACT Academy Trust. Um, I'm sure very, very busy. So thank you for making time in your schedule today. Very happy to have Simon. And, uh, and Jake Harrison, um, your biology teacher at Loretto College in Manchester. You're studying for your MA in educational leadership practice. So so I've got two people here in um, opposite ends of perhaps their leadership journeys. Um, Jake, thanks. Thanks for making time for us today. No, thank you. Thank you for having me. Um, so I'll, I'll crack on then. Um, Tom, leadership, since you, uh, since you began your, your path, your ladder in the leadership journey, I guess, things have probably changed, um, changed quite dramatically. The landscape must look quite different. What, what do you think the sort of big changes are since you, since you began that path? Oh, the massive changes. I mean, I, I've been teaching for more than 20 years. Um, and I've been in senior leadership since, since around 2006. And the thing back to those days, um, some of the jobs that I've been doing recently didn't exist then. Um, so this was before the advent of multi-academy trusts. So, um, certainly my ambition was, was to be a head teacher and, and, and to run a school as a community. Um, the notion of system leader roles or, um, apart from running schools, running services such as estates and IT and all of the services that multi-academy trusts have suddenly, um, you know, taken under their wing, uh, that was very alien, uh, to me at the time. Um, so uh, yeah, I think as, as trusts have evolved, so have the number of, uh, leadership roles and the range of, of leadership roles in the system. Um, and, and looking back, I'm not quite sure any of the, the training courses, the original MPQs, um, really prepared, um, the generation of, of, of CEOs of trusts now, um, you know, I'm not sure they were really prepared for the job or really understood what that job was going to look like in the end. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, um, it's very different, um, in today's world, uh, in terms of the, we, we're talking about digital skills today. So in terms of that sort of element of the role, how has that, um, had changed for you, the sort of digitalization of education, if you like. Yeah, I mean, there's clearly changes in terms of teaching and learning and, and, and the digitization of the curriculum and devices and classrooms, um, that th they're obvious, but from a lead leadership perspective, um, if I think back to early two thousands, when I was teaching, I couldn't imagine how reliant we've become on technology. Um, if we take safeguarding as one, uh, example. Um, you know, I can't imagine, um, leading an effective, uh, safeguarding, uh, strategy without products such as, um, C-POMs, you know, or, or others, <laughs> similar products, um, that, that really, um, enable that fast communication, that, that, that insight in terms of tracking and intervention, uh, reporting. Um, so if you take something as, as fundamental as safeguarding, imagining 
how we might do that without the use of technology and digital tools is um, it's quite scary. Um, and that there are other aspects of of school leadership where technology is, you know, has also become a, a real fundamental. Um, you know, there's there's a a wealth of products out there for for assessment and tracking. Um, you know, how we administer examinations, how we support children with send. Um, you know, over the last 20 years, um, digital uh, ed tech has transformed those areas, hopefully for the better. Do you think that the last couple of years then have seen that sort of that rise in the use of technology really push on? People talk about, you know, obviously remote remote learning, and that's been a steep learning curve for lots of people. Do you, do you see the last two years as presenting quite a lot of extra opportunities and, and perhaps challenges? Obviously, you mentioned safeguarding there. We we know the digital safeguarding has become a an issue over the last couple of years with a lot of students spending a lot of time online. Yeah, I, I think the opportunities from the last two years has it, it's just been the huge progress that the workforce have made in terms of digital literacy. Um, you know, there were lots of teachers that that were familiar with the tools available, whether that's through Microsoft or Apple or Google. But I think during the the lockdown period and the and the reliance on remote learning, I actually think so many more teachers became expert. And, and as they really discovered the, some of those products, um, I think that trusts and other organizations were really forced to accelerate their development because I think teachers were, were setting the pace. Um, you know, so that really challenged things like, um, how trusts pr procure products. Um, it challenged what devices, um, trusts invested in, um, you know, we've sort of moved away from a traditional laptop device, uh, into tablets and then phones. Um, so I, I really think teachers set the pace by saying, this is what we can do in our classrooms. Um, these are the tools that we require to collaborate more effectively remotely. Um, and it's certainly been a challenge to me as a trust leader to keep pace with that so that it's not the, the trust or the infrastructure that's slowing down innovation in this space. Okay. Brilliant. Um, Jake, you're you're sort of dipping your toe into the the, the leadership world, if you like, and and, um, and learning the the uh, the skills that are needed for that sort of role. Um, how important do you think it is for leaders to have a sort of experience and a real good understanding and a, a grasp of technology and digital going into these roles nowadays? Yeah, I mean, in, in fact, I've just um, just been promoted to be a head of hall. So it's a college and obviously horizontal with only two year groups. It's like, yeah, rather than individual heads of years. So I've sort of now got that more direct experience as well. Um, I think it is really important that individuals have an understanding, but then at the same time, obviously you're working as part of a, a team, aren't you? And so I think the benefit of having any team is that you complement each other's strengths a little bit. So I think while everyone, you know, we, we do everything, all of our sort of software is, is stuff that's made by our in-house developers. So we don't use CPOMs and stuff. We've got all our own, uh, Mylaretto systems, um, which I think is really, um, you know, it means it's very flexible. You know, if, if, if some, if we think something needs to be improved or changed, just go to the developers and, and, and they can see what they can do. Um, so. I think it's important that everyone has 
some understanding and, and obviously things like you know, Excel spreadsheets and things, uh, you know, are, are very, very useful. Uh, one of the things I've been involved with has been, um, <clears throat> helping like medics and dentists, uh, with applications to university and, you know, that's quite a specialized job. You know, there's a, a lot of different medical schools and dental schools, there's varying sort of requirements depending on like entrance exams and GCC requirements and all that sort of stuff. Um, and so we do a lot of tracking through Excel spreadsheets. So even if not everyone has the skills to sort of make that Excel spreadsheet, just being able to manipulate it and use it, for example, as a baseline, I think is really important. So, uh, yeah, I, I think you have to sort of uh, assess a baseline, but I also think it's not just, um, it's not just staff sometimes, you know, you need that training, it, it's students as well. And I think if staff and if leadership don't have a good enough <clears throat> understanding of, of sort of technology, it's very difficult then to sort of meet the students where they are and, and with their understanding. I think we were quite surprised to a degree, um, you know, in, in the sort of lockdowns and, and since really, we know obviously a lot of our, our students come from, um, quite disadvantaged backgrounds. I think a third of them are sort of ex people premium. So, um, we didn't expect them to have necessarily, uh, access to lots of technology. Um, but we obviously think of, you know, sort of young people now being the sort of digital generation, but, but actually that, that, that seems to be quite, uh, sort of specific to phones really. Um, there's a couple of tasks that we do, which require the students to use like Excel or something, or, uh, use the SharePoints and things. And they found that quite difficult. So though they are quite digitally aware in some ways it's in quite a specific context, but I think obviously if, if sort of leadership and if teachers more generally don't have their understanding of technology, it's then very difficult to sort of meet students where they are and identify the gaps in the knowledge the students have and, and how you need to sort of bring them up to that. Um, and then obviously if you, if you're not aware of that, it would have made remote learning very difficult, but also moving forward, there are obviously ways that you can use technology to improve that like teaching and learning or change teaching and learning. But again, if you're not aware of those gaps, then it's, it's very difficult to do that. Mm -hmm. So you've been studying over the past year and you've sort of um, on the ground in the classroom. Have you sort of identified any particular opportunities that technology and, and digital skills could sort of provide over the next coming sort of coming years? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I think there's some um, stuff like quizzes, for example, that students can do on phones, I, I think would be really helpful. We do more and more, um, you know, sort of homework quizzes, for example, where it's online so that if they're on a long bus journey home or something, they can access that on their phone so they can sort of make use of that you know, transit time essentially, because it's difficult to get like, you know, a, a set of notebooks out on a bus, isn't it? I think can start writing things, but if it's a, a quiz that you can do on your phone, for example, um, or if it's an app that you can make flashcards on, on your phone, I think, you know, things like that can be really beneficial for, for teaching and teaching and learning. And then it also within the classroom as well, they're not necessarily, um, you know, things like Kahoot's and Blookin, you know, other platforms are available that they can be really helpful because it's just a different way of assessing them, you know, and it, it, obviously particularly at A-level, there's quite a lot of focus on exam questions and that has to be, but it's not, I think nice for them sometimes just to be sort of assessed in a, in a different way. So they sort of feel like it's not, you know, uh, 
Jeff sticks out questions, even if that, that's what their focus needs to be. Um, obviously, with things like you know, with things like safeguarding as well, um, it, it does open up more opportunities for communication and things, so you can catch things earlier. So obviously, that's really really important for them. But then I also think it, it makes it even more necessary that we then provide training, you know, on on things that are obviously directly safeguarding related, you know, things like you know, online extremism, but also other things like misinformation. You know, we, we've seen, obviously, haven't we, during again, during COVID, um, how much misinformation can spread online. And I think it opens up a new sort of area, really, in terms of how you are training students to, you know, to be aware that everything they see online is necessarily true. I think it's partly a problem with our curriculum as well. Like, um, particularly at A-level, obviously, the focus is, you know, in, in any education establishment is, is very much on grades and um, that almost disincentivizes. I mean, there's, you know, there's things you have to do about misinformation, obviously, for you know, part of the sort of PHE sort of safeguarding, but um, there's, there's not really an incentive to develop skills in terms of like, and this goes beyond digital skills, presentation skills as well. It obviously, you know, um, at, at A level, uh, I don't know how much of a biology background you have, but sort of, you know, graphs are all drawn by hand and things. And then when you go off to university, you'll never draw a graph by hand. You'll do it all on graph pads using statistical software. And the curriculum almost hasn't caught up with that. So we don't teach them some of the digital skills that they could really do with at university, you know, using Excel or graph pad more widely because the practical endorsement mostly focuses on and the exams mostly focus on can you draw a graph by hand, you know, so there's definitely room for improvement. If you are collecting a load of data in a lab, you're not going to do it by hand, but we still focus on that. So there's definitely still room for things there as well. Yeah. So I guess in that situation, you're relying on the digital skills of the, the educator in the room to supplement the elements of the curriculum where it's still lagging a little bit behind. Yeah, but it's also a time thing, isn't it? Because, you know, obviously, ideally, with enough time, you'd like to be able to do that. But if, you know, it, if something then happens, but you then don't have that time, well, obviously, you're going to, you know, it's nice to be able to teach digital skills, but you're not going to prioritize that over the curriculum that they need. Of course. You mentioned about students having sort of digital skills, although some of them being quite specific. And you think when you think of digital, digital, we often think of, um, skills perhaps coming from the bottom up and you know students educating teachers teachers educating the leaders and do you um do you think that the next generation of leaders can bring quite a lot of sort of innovation to to sort of i don't know matt ceos for example <laughs> what sort yeah, of examples I, I think that sort of links in a little bit again to what we're teaching current young people isn't it in terms of the skills that they're bringing forward yeah, I don't. I don't think it necessarily follows generational lines, though. Um, you know, there are some people in my generation who who, you know, who who love technology and really get on board with it. Equally, it's not necessarily true for everybody. Um, I ended up doing quite a lot of inset about online learning, both for for um, staff and for students. But actually, before that, I'd never I'd never have described myself as someone who was particularly good with technology at all. Um, it, it just came from necessity, really. Um, but it wasn't just me doing that. Uh, I did quite a lot. But you know, there are other people not of my generation, not of my age group, who were who were just as innovative and 
and tr willing to try different things out. I, I don't know it's necessarily so much about the sort of the, the generation uh, as it is about the sort of structures in place that encourage a bit of you know experimentation, encourage that sort of freedom of thought, you know, and and and, and enables that discussion about different things that can you know that, that can happen. I think it's it, it's also about having a you know a, a varied leadership team. Um, you know, the, the head of developers is is on our management team because you know obviously he is an expert in in, in technology. Um, so I, yeah, I think um, there will definitely be things that um, you know the next generation of leaders can bring, because and partly because of the experience they've had with COVID, but also because when they've been through university, they have well have been exposed to you know, sort of more technology. And I think the more exposure you have, the more confident you feel with it. Again, the more willing you, you are to try things out. But a lot of the big leap forwards, leaps forward that we've had with technology, haven't necessarily come. You know, from people who've had lots of exposure to IT at university, it's come from necessity, having to try things out and then just seeing what works really. Tom, um, how, how easy is it for say, uh, someone on a senior leadership team at one of your schools to innovate digitally and bring something new to the table or is it, does it happen higher up the, the sort of mat hierarchy than that? Yeah, I think I agree with a lot of Jake's points that in, in my view, digital is an area uh, where culture eats strategy for breakfast, you know, so a, a well-used phrase. Uh, and, I, and I see many mats with digital strategies and I almost think they're outdated the minute they've put pen to paper and it ignores the innovation that's taken place. that has been driven by practitioners in the classroom. And um, so you know, as trusts, I, I've described DIAC, we're a human capital organization. You know, we're, we're, we're a group of adults working with groups of children. And what's important isn't necessarily the formal um, infrastructure around IT. What is interesting is how uh, practitioners are developing technology to provide solutions for the children that they teach. Um, I was really interested to hear Jake say things like, uh, that at his school, they are possibly not buying in off the shelf products, but have reached a level of sophistication where they're creating their own products to perform the same function. And that's certainly uh, something I would describe as a, a as a postmodern era of uh, digital um, and, and, and ed tech in schools. If you if you think modernity was websites, VLEs, laptops, and classrooms, you know we've moved away from that now. And, and we've got a level of sophistication where practitioners can create their own apps. Uh, they can create their own tools. They can create their own uh, digital resources. So, so, so the market needs to change slightly to recognize that over time, schools have got the knowledge and the expertise in-house to create bespoke solutions, whether those are teaching and learning solutions or even management solutions. Um, yeah, what, what, one of the things that, that, that I wrestle with at the moment is um, in the white paper, uh, one of the, the, the big priorities around extending the school day. Um, and it just seems to me that that, that, that that sort of statement's about 20 years late. You know, we had extended schools, um, you know, 20 odd years ago. We moved into, uh, through lockdown, an understanding that learning is 24-7, um, that, that through technology, uh, children are learning, uh, you know, all of the time and adults are working 
all the time, you know, sometimes un un unhealthily. So um, in schools, we spend £600 million per year on supply teaching. You know, one of the things I'm, I'm thinking is, have we not solved that problem now with the use of technology, remote learning, hybrid learning? Is it not possible that even if a teacher was absent for any reason, that the children could carry on learning uh, through a virtual experience? And if we can, that's six hundred million pounds back into schools um, at a time where we're we're under financial pressures. So, so the, the, there's lots of possibilities in this uh, in this space. But, but to answer your question, about how easy is it for practitioners to to set the path um, around ed tech in a in a multi academy trust environment? I think the intention is certainly to enable that innovation and and, and that that flexibility and experimentation. But we've got red tape, um, for example, procurement uh, rules are really outdated. Um, you, you know, initially when, when trusts were created, uh, joint procurement was seen as a, as a strategy for saving money and improving efficiency. And I would say that joint procurement now in big trusts is an absolute headache. Uh, I mean, if you're a, a trust of 30 or 40 schools uh, and it just so happens that three or four schools want to order the same product, you fall foul of some sort of procurement rule where you then have to go through a really lengthy tendering process with lots of risk. Um, there are rogue companies out there that will sue you if they think that you've not followed the same um, you know, competitive process. So if we can try and uh, relax the red tape a little bit and try and let schools and, and, and practitioners and individual schools develop solutions that meet their needs, then I think we'll go a long way to sort of letting the handbrake off the system and, and, and seeing a real acceleration. I think what Tom said there about like hybrid teaching, I mean, possibly again, easier at a college, but we did that quite a lot. We have implemented that quite a lot where staff were off. If you had one teacher teaching the same lesson in a classroom next door, just streaming it over teams to an, you know, either students at home or students in the classroom watching on a whiteboard. Uh, and, you know, sometimes it's difficult to get supply in, you know, um, so it just means you can keep providing that, you know, um, that experience to, you know, to, to young people uh, and they still feel like they're being supported. It might not be a long-term solution, but for the odd day, you know, and I, I think, you know, obviously, uh, particularly as you get further up and you're sort of looking at, at A-levels and sort of more specialized teaching, it's difficult for a supplier teacher to come in for a day or something, you know, and, and provide because, you know, they can't plan in advance and stuff. It is, I think, more beneficial to have a teacher who has got years of experience, the spec doing it online than somebody who's just coming in for a day and you know, it's going to be more difficult for them. When you, you talked a little bit there about, um, about the sort of risk of procuring a, a new sort of, digital tool across a large trust like that how how does how does that process work how, how do you balance the risk and reward and and what role does a leader play in in um you know getting buy-in and getting getting that tool out to the to the trust yeah i mean it's, it's something that, that i've written about recently in in relation to the existential question what is a trust um because if the trust is one big school um with several you know other schools that are, are, are mini departments or franchises of, of, of the big school then then clearly the trust take the leadership role of of uh, how we work what what tools we use 
Um, and, and that's quite a clunky system, really difficult. I think as trusts get to, you know, 12 or more schools, potentially I mean, plucking that with thin air, but, but, but as the level of complexity increases, the idea that the trust centralized things, uh, starts to, 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 to really, uh, stretch. Um, if the trust is a community of diverse schools that are each, you know, celebrating their own differences and, and, and celebrating innovation and creativity, then we have to uh, look at some of the complexities of how multi-academy trusts are organized as single employers with single sets of terms and conditions. So for example, um, ours, it would be quite difficult for a school and a trust to operate a different school day to the other schools in the trust because a single employer that becomes issues around, um, you know, hours and pay and, and, and things that, that go along with that. And in terms of products, um, some schools, if you take data, some schools like CISRA, some schools like Sims, some schools like, you know, uh, for matrix, there's lots of tools there. And, and sometimes you, um, you find a tool that the staff have used for some time and they want to carry on using it. If you just suddenly say you can't have that tool because we've procured a similar tool elsewhere, you've now got to use this. It's like telling someone who is an Apple, you know, an Apple fanatic that they've now got to suddenly use Google and they, they, they have a, you know, a period where they're like, well, I'm not quite sure, you know, I don't have those transferable skills per se. I'm very productive in this environment, but now you're asking me to work in a different environment. And, you know, it's like asking a football player to play rugby in some, in some cases. <laughs> um, so there are challenges, Simon, and uh, I'm not quite sure how we overcome them, but it seems that we could work with um, the DFE, the Treasury, on, on, on trying to understand what these problems are, because clearly no one no one ever expected them uh, when these regulations were created you know sort of 15 years ago of course yeah yeah um jake what um, what sort of experience have you gained around um you know rolling out digital change it could be across across the whole school or on a smaller scale what sort of skills have you gained in your in your years teaching as well i i think you when you are this was the case again um you're disseminating this to students and staff, it is really very similar to teaching any other subjects or degree. You might have a room of people in front of you and they're going to have very, very different, you know, sort of digital skills. I found when I was, you know, leading, uh, inset on teams teaching, uh, for some people dead, dead straightforward, <clears throat> you got it, um, straight away. And, and then obviously what they sort of really needed was, was, you know, uh, almost stretch and challenge essentially, you know, like other ideas of things that they could do, because if you're rolling something like that out, you know, you obviously need, you need buy-in, don't you? And, and if people don't feel that it's sort of useful for them, I can do that already. Um, it's not at all, you know, it, it's not this, it, it's not going to engender sort of good, good feelings about it. So I found when I was sort of delivering it that. I'd be not going wild if it's one one of the spectrums to the other. So some people are like, well, you could try using this platform. You could try using this platform. You, you, you can try uh, sharing your PowerPoint this way instead using two screens. And you know, whereas for, for other staff, it was more okay. So you know, this is you know the sort of more basic level how to upload a PowerPoint into Teams. Um, you know, and and how to you know, just basically record yourself or share a lesson. I, I think I think it's difficult with technology because. There are some things it's really, really great for. And you know, I mentioned like quizzes, self-marking quizzes. 
I think if you can use technology to sort of like reduce the admin workload for teachers in some cases, quite often, if you look at like surveys of teachers about their you know, job satisfaction, and obviously we've got a big retention crisis at the moment and a recruitment crisis, um, you know, the teaching they enjoy, um, and, you know, and, and obviously there are, uh, you know, the ways that technology can help them. But I think that the real way that technology can be useful is that if it can remove or aid some of those admin tasks, it frees up more time for teachers to do the bits of teaching they actually enjoy, you know, the, the sort of supporting the students and, and less of the, um, you know, uh, having to sort of, you know, uh, mark lots of multiple choice quizzes sort or of things instead. Um, because with technology, sometimes I've seen, for example, PGC students, and I, you know, I, I know, you know anecdotally of people who've come to sort of interviews, and they'll try and use some sort of technology. But sometimes you think, like, well, is that actually useful? You know, if you're doing this online quiz, are you really seeing like how they're actually learning? You know, it's sort of fun for them, and that's useful sometimes. But is it really aiding their learning? But also, like, you know, people create sort of job interviews and things, and then maybe. You know, infrastructure in schools is very different. And again, it's been in the news quite a lot, hasn't it? A lot of schools are really struggling for funding and, you know, buildings falling down, let alone having up-to-date IT. Going to interviews, planning an entire lesson sort of based around, you know, digital things, you know, again, some quizzes and stuff, and the infrastructure isn't there and the entire lesson sort of falls flat. So I think you can, you can almost go too far in promoting it. And I, you know, I, I think the, one of the most important things you have to sort of um, get across almost is like balance and like when it is useful, but also like when actually this makes it sound very old fashioned, but sometimes the old ways are best, you know, it's great for communication, great sometimes for admin tasks and, and great sometimes in, in classrooms, that doesn't mean it should be a wholesale shift to just technology. Um, you know, some of the <laughs> more old fashioned methods of teaching still are the best, I think. And. Jake, you're sort of studying your your MA at the moment, and Tom, feel free to to chip in on this one. But I just wanted to ask you about obviously your part of what you're doing is probably quite research led, looking at looking at evidence. How important is that when it comes to digital? I mean, there's probably less research around the the current trends as there are around the sort of classic teaching techniques, obviously. But how important is it to have a good understanding of research in general and how to assess evidence and those types of skills i think definitely assessing evidence um yeah i mean one of the sort of things that i've really found because i again come from a science background the way that you would carry out an investigation in a, a lab you know looking at cells or some things obviously they're very different to the way that you'd go about that in a classroom and you know we use quite a lot of sort of you know, quantitative data in teaching you know value added and stuff and obviously schools got progress eight and there's alps and alice and all sorts isn't there and and that can be obviously you know really really useful but at the same time like every single class is different you, you could have you know the same teacher can teach two different classes essentially the same content in the same way and it'll have you know a very different impact so i, I think research in theory is really important certainly the ability to analyze that but I think more research needs to really come from schools and be shared between schools. I think uh, you, you almost need more collaboration between the sort of research in universities who are really au fait with how to do educational research, but you know, more uh, collaboration between them and teaching the schools. Because if you look at a lot of educational research, um, 
it's quite often taken out of a normal context. If, if you've got an educational researcher coming into a classroom, that instantly changes the dynamic of that classroom. And yeah, I see that just from lesson observations. When I've been observed and when I've observed other people, you, know, you can almost feel the change in the atmosphere in the classroom when you walk in or when you know, the observer walks in to see you. And I, I think you know, when you uh, I, I sort of almost need, need to look at ways where you, you can still have these you know, initiatives or whatever being, being rolled out by a class's normal teacher and then ways in which that can be assessed by a researcher um, over a longer period of time with a larger number of students. And obviously then there are some ethical issues around that in terms of different experiences given to students. But the, the other issue, of course, with, with research is that for a lot of teachers, it's inaccessible, you know, financially it's inaccessible. And, and, and again, this isn't just in teaching, but research journals cost a lot of money to subscribe to them. Uh, schools don't have any money. So, you know, given the choice between buying a new set of materials or refurbishing a classroom and subscribing to an educational journal for a year, well, they're not going to choose the educational journal with the best one in the world. Um, so, so much of the research is, is inaccessible. And then obviously as well, you know, in terms of the sort of skills required to, to it's, it's not easy to just sort of, you know, to, to, to read and, and pick up a journal straight away without the sort of training of that, without the financial support on that, it ends up with research being very, very separate to, you know, actual teaching. And then that of course exacerbates the problem because then teachers look at it and go, well, it's not relevant to me. It's not relevant to my context. Um, that, you know, this person hasn't taught for 20 years, they don't know what they're doing. Well, you know, they know what they're doing in terms of research, but you need that collaboration between current teachers. Otherwise it just doesn't sort of, again, it's that same thing of, I think if you're trying to roll something out, you need buy-in. If people don't see it as being useful, it's much more difficult to achieve that buy-in. Um, and so you need to look at ways of increasing that communication really. Yeah, I, I agree with, with those points, Jake, I think. It's important we can try and capture, um, you know, in an evidence-informed way, um, how um, tech is supporting uh, pupil progress, and you know, is is improving the quality of teaching and learning. Because the danger is um, that we sort of generate inefficiencies with with lots of different schools innovating effectively the same thing. Um, you know, one of the potential promises of the Oak Academy is that it, it means that schools and trusts don't have to create their own um, online curriculum platforms that one is is created that, that, that we can uh, use. So so there's maybe some efficiencies there. And the other area of research, I think, which which would be uh, important in, in the current context is around workload. Um, and, uh, you know, I remember 20 years ago uh, coming into teaching and the unions had agreed on set tasks that teachers wouldn't do that would now be taken up by other elements of the workforce. And I think we've arrived at that same point again, where it might be, these are tasks, which we want to be automated. You know, that we want to look at investing in digital labor that supports, uh, teachers that frees up time that addresses some of the workload challenges. And I would be really interested in, in, in perhaps the DFE, um, you know, facilitating, um, some of that work so that we could actually start to see um products that that are recommended as reducing workload or reducing the impact of workload on staff or improving the quality of teaching i think that's probably a gap uh, that exists currently 
So Tom, what other digital kind of skills you you look for in your in your leaders across your trust? What um what are the different elements that you'd want to see around the table uh, at your senior senior team meetings in terms of sort of digital skills? Yeah, I mean, digital skills are, you know, as I say, they're, they're advancing quickly. Um, around the leadership team at EACT, um, we're quite fortunate uh, in that we've got a fairly high uh, degree of uh, digital experience and skills. Um, Chris Wiseman, the deputy CEO, he, he comes from a tech background um, and, and he's really interested in how we use digital to innovate, create, improve our productivity and such like. Uh, I think if we were appointing um, new senior leaders within the trust, we'd certainly be looking at their digital skills in respect of communication. And I think Jake's already talked about that. Communication now isn't just an email. You know, that's that was modernity, post-modernity is this sort of interaction where there's video interaction, there's a range of messages coming through a range of medium. And I think leaders have to really carefully consider what their communication strategy is and how digital informs that. I think that's really important, whether that's Twitter, whether it's uh, how you communicate with, with, with staff. Uh, so communication is a big one. The other one uh, or, or other two is project management skills. And again, leadership development uh, over the years has seen a real uh, requirement for quite sophisticated project management skills. So in the trust of 3000 employees, if there's a, a strategy or initiative, um, that, that requires a high level of advanced uh, leadership management competency. Um, you know, gone are the days when I was a head teacher, we got everyone in the staff room and we launched an initiative. You know, the, the, those days have gone, there have to be far more sophistication and complexity around how we launch and manage things like that. And the final thing I think Jake's already mentioned is about um, the use of data and the intelligent use of data. Um, always aware of the workload implication uh, and try to reduce that and mitigate against that where possible. Mm -hmm. um, those are probably the three main things that we discuss as a leadership team. Yeah. And in terms of uh, this, let's sort of play out a scenario here where perhaps Jake's uh, Jake's into the final round of interviews for a role with you guys. Um, what what sort of things would you be asking? Are, are you are you looking at things like LinkedIn profiles at that stage? Is that a, a big element of the the sort of role, the persona for you, or is that something that's overplayed, perhaps? Oh, that is a really good question in terms of um, you know recruitment. Um, yeah, I mean we're quite. Um, we're careful in that we do a lot of homework on applicants, uh, a lot of research. Um, we're not too swayed by um, sort of Twitter presence. You know, I think that's probably overstated. There's, there's, there's actually quite a small number of people that, that would necessarily recognize that. I think um, in terms of trusts, definitely um, LinkedIn is a more professional uh, way of um, interacting and, and, and exploring experiences and, and, and interests. Um, but certainly we're more interested in, 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 in your ideas, uh, how you can demonstrate impact, um, how you can, um, capture lessons learned and, and, and potentially accelerate our development by sharing those lessons learned. So communication, emotional intelligence, organization, and digital, um, certainly are, are key requirements. 
how does that sound jake on the other end of the uh on the other side of the interview panel how do you feel you're equipped going into sort of i don't know potentially leadership interviews at the end of your course well i mean obviously um like i said i've i've very recently um you know been through an interview which obviously went well um yeah i think uh what i i, I guess my success in in teaching as it is so far a lot of it comes down to i think more than a willingness to, to learn you know, a sort of desire to learn and keep adapting and keep looking at new things um yeah i mean i i've i've sort of quite deliberately tried to take on some sort of new challenge every every year i mean i'm, I'm only at the end of my fifth year of my career but i've sort of tried to take on a new challenge to develop different skills all the way through so you know taking on teaching and learning delivering insights and uh and and observing lessons and things project management wise not quite the same scale as 3000 employees but organizing a college trip to california was a you know a, a relatively um you know uh tricky task at times so i, I think you know uh, i mean obviously uh, that's the sort of next uh, step up and it always sounds intimidating but then i think also things like um empathy and communication it's different skills required within that as you go further up. But I think at the same time, like if you're not empathetic and not good at communicating quite often, you probably wouldn't think of sort of teaching being a career for you anyway, because they're so fundamental. Um, and I think the vast majority of teachers, even if they don't come from a sort of tech background, part of being in education is that you see the value of learning is, isn't it? You know, and, and obviously you are promoting that to your students, but part of that is modeling it yourself. And so, uh, you know, obviously digital technologies, digital literacy, um, is the sort of next big thing that a lot of teachers are sort of learning. But if you have the, the mindset of, well, you know, I'm, I'm looking to learn, um, then it seems a lot less intimidating. So, uh, <laughs> whether I would at the moment, uh, you know, uh, have the confidence to, uh, you know, be going through one of the times interviews is, 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 is debatable, but, um, you know, I, I think with experience. Uh, and, and sort of seeing how other leaders behave, you, you learn to model that a little bit, don't you as well? And you pick up on those things and, you know, what you've seen leaders do that you've liked, but also what you've seen leaders do that you don't necessarily agree with. And I don't think that's a bad thing. You know, I, I think an atmosphere in schools where there is, uh, an openness to, you know, if, if, um, if, if teachers don't agree necessarily with leadership, that's okay. That doesn't necessarily mean that you know, they are right, but it is okay to disagree because the fact they are thinking about it, reflecting on it, thinking about what they would do is, is surely a positive thing, you know, positive for the school and positive for them. So, um, yeah, yeah, I think they are obviously, you know, skills that require development in, in different ways, but, um, it just takes practice, doesn't it really? Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah, I think you're right. Having having the skills is one set, one thing, but the 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 sort of mindset to to adapt and change and adopt digital practices is is probably half the battle. But yeah, brilliant. Okay, thanks very much, guys. I really appreciate your time today, Tom, Jake. It was really good talking to you. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thanks, Simon. Thank you.